the Secretary of Defense said dominate the battle space, Oof. which is a military right. term of art that they use Oof. instead of a against American citizens against, against American, American against American citizens. citizens. Yeah. Like asking you three in particular, what empowers you three? What like what fills your guys' soul to continue on this growth? What what's that emotional aspect of that that continues this growth? What up, world? Ayo! Welcome back to the Amer Podcast. We are uh, coming to you live on Monday. June 1st at 6.15 p.m. Uh, heavy night. We are without our glorious leader, Blake Mannion. Sad days. Our guide rail. He's okay, though. Just FYI. He is good. Yep. But uh, we wanted to make sure we could come to you in uh, some trying times and uh, talk with everyone a little bit about uh, what's been happening over the last week. But before we get into that, I'll introduce everyone that's here with us tonight. Uh, we have a special guest with us. Uh, Jamie's with us uh, from Minnesota. If our listeners will remember, she was with us, I think, on the very first Apocalypse yep. episode we recorded. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. She is. She has now become our Minnesota correspondent, which should be obviously relevant to you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's fun being on here with you guys. Yeah, we certainly so. appreciate you taking the time and coming back. Uh, also with us in the East Bay, Tyler Mayo. What's going on? My last name is Grillo now, but it's okay. You knew me that way my whole life. It's fine. Um, I always mess it up. I apologize. <laughs> We're never going to gonna get Tyler's intro right. It's a bit. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. exactly. It's either my name or where I am. Or, yeah. Um, hey, what's going on? Yeah, um, we'll get into it. But uh, yep, shit's, shit's wild out here. Glad to be on with y'all. And, and of course, last but not least, uh, John Anderson. Hey, everybody. Come to us from Evergreen, Colorado. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, so as, as Kelly mentioned, um, this is the 113th episode and typically, uh, I do a fun fact at this time. However, uh, nothing is really that fun right now. So my fun fact to you is go donate, uh, to any kind of cause you can, if you cannot donate, donate your feet, donate your time, donate your brain, donate something. We need every, every, everybody on it. We as a podcast donated $113 to the ACLU because it's podcast number 113 uh we encourage anybody and everybody to do what they can because your country fucking needs you right now transition yes yes and and why does your country need you um i i like to think that our listeners are pretty well informed but if you are not and you haven't been paying attention to what's been happening in the news since the end of last week um there was a murder in police custody Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yes. A man named George Floyd uh, was murdered, and there was a delay in reaction from the DA and the police organizations in Minneapolis, which sparked protests from the African American community, which has since spread to, I think, last time I saw, 18 cities. Oh, in, uh, 18 major cities. Oh, I would expect it to be yeah. like much larger depending on how you're um, counting, although I don't know for sure. Yeah. I might have been thinking states. Oh, I know it's been 20 cities in 23 states. So maybe. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And also even internationally, um, 
Toronto, um, uh, London, they defied their, their, their shelter in place, which is a little more mandatory than a lot of ours. Um, Mm -hmm. so that was a big move. Um, yeah. I've also seen ones in Berlin and then I've also seen murals in, uh, Syria even. That should give everybody some perspective. Yeah. About where we are at today in America. Um, so to, you know, we, we had a weekend of rage, I would say, um, there was, uh, a lot of peaceful protesting. There was a lot of not peaceful protesting. There was a lot of not peaceful police enforcement. Um, I think there is a lot of, um, I don't want to say blame, but there's a lot of, there are no innocent people in this, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, not very many. Um, not at very many innocent groups, I will say we are all in this together. However, there are tons of innocent people that was not well said. Um, yeah, I think what, what ends up being so uh, hard to see for, I think a lot of people, uh, ourselves included is that we're more or less peaceful people and we try to promote that, but there's a lot of pent up anger mm-hmm. and a lot of pent up resentment that is being used right now and probably appropriately honestly, considering the system that we're talking about and how long the African-American community has had to wait to see some movement on justice. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's somewhat hard to throw blame their way for uh, some of the violence that's happened. Uh, it's a little, I think, easier to maybe throw blame for violence that's been caused by outside groups that are using this as an opportunity mm-hmm. um, to either just watch the world burn or throw in some other types of uh, ideology that I think is separate from the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, it's it's a powder keg out there right now. And we saw it when we went to Occupy all those times that there's a lot of different groups that end up coming out to protest. Yeah. And it's hard to maintain a strong message and to keep people on message even within that because of the amount of anger that's coming from a lot of different places. That is brought together. Something just, you know, this is this is my experience at Occupy, which is now some amount of time ago. Um, but right. I found it very interesting, and I suspect protests are similar, um, in that there were some cops that I really enjoyed talking to. Uh, we had a – we were uh, – they were lining up to clear out the park, and we were sitting on a curb in front of them. I mean, we were within – two or three feet of them. So as they prepared, we were talking to them and one guy said, Hey, you know, basically we're going to come now and you guys need to leave and then you need to come back. And on the flip side of that, there was a time when we were running down 16th street and, uh, there was a group of anarchists, uh, who were just throwing over trash cans for no fucking reason. And the protesters, like we stopped them and the protesters, uh, started picking up these trash cans. And so I want to say those two things to say that there are good and bad actors in all of these groups. And it's really important that we remember that as we, uh, watch our televisions, read through our social media, uh, feeds and, and interact with people on in a day to day basis right now. Yeah, I, I agree with that, John. I agree with that, John. And because there's always the and, and <laughs> this is layers of complexity of life. And the difference is what, what I think the, the bad actors for, unfortunately for some people can really, it becomes like this very individualistic mindset where it becomes, um, well, then we just have to fix the bad actors, which like remove the bad actors. And the thing is, is that 
as John said, there are bad actors on all sides of this. However, the, the overall problem is that the structure of law enforcement and of criminal and our criminal justice system is inherently racist. It is the structure itself. So you can have, I mean, in my opinion, you could remove all the bad actors. You could have great cops. Everybody is just a stand-up person. And it doesn't actually, it will not make the change that's being called for right now because the system itself is not equal. The system itself is not created equal. Um, watch the movie 13th. Uh, it shows how slavery and Jim Crow just became um, the prison industrial complex. So while t- I agree with you, John, definitely bad actors as on all sides, which we, I would love to personally get into some of the details of that and what that looks like. Because yep, um, I have thoughts to. about that. Um, yes, also at the same time, it is the system that is the problem and the, the system, the, the justice system and law enforcement system is what is what needs to change. Yeah. And I think that's what makes the system so complicated, right? And why protesting can be such a really kind of strange monster when it comes to it. Cause it's, it's, it's people that are trying to participate within a system that they think is inherently unfair. So trying to act within some of the rules that have been set out for them to raise their voice and to make their problems heard in order to change it, but they have felt so little change on the other side after this happens that it's no surprise that these get more and more violent, they get more and more intense as time goes on when there's not a lot of change that gets seen. It's great It's great that you're allowed to march in the streets and, and talk about it, you know, freely in a society which is fully supported in the American system. But, you know, when you don't see change, it's very hard to continue along a path. And I mean, when you look back at the history of the civil rights movement, this is an underlying aspect in the entirety of the movement. What's, what's the proper way to do it to actually get things done, right? It's that always kind of peaceful versus more violent means discussion that has happened for a long time. And it's, yeah, I think it's, it's much more difficult now on top of the COVID pandemic and Donald Trump in the White House and white nationalists openly marching in the street over the last three years. There's <laughs> a hell of a lot more uh, anger, uh, which is, I think, justified yeah. at this point. Jamie, you uh, have been aware of some of that anger in Minnesota. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I, I firsthand, so I do want to like put out, I'm in northern Minnesota right now. Um, the I am staying at my parents' house for family reasons. Um, we're going through some hard times within my family. Um, but my house is in Minneapolis, and uh, the murder of George Floyd took place within blocks of my house. Um, and... I feel bad that I, I can't be there, but I don't feel like I have that voice to say represents what's going on in Minneapolis because I don't, I haven't been there. But saying that, being with the people that I have um, been in, ta- in contact with, um, there's a lot of anger and definitely a lot of peaceful protests um, within a lot of my friend groups. And um, they're just sick of it. And I... Yeah, and like like I'm angry. Um, I'm angry, and I know a lot of my friends are angry down there. You know, my roommate, um, she's she's hearing flashbangs till one in the morning going off. You know, where National Guard is going up and down the streets. Um, I'm up in northern Minnesota, which is Bemidji, Minnesota, right now, and up here um, there was a protest on on Saturday, and it's this area up here used to be 
more of a blue area, at least within the county that I live with. But with Trump, it's turned red and it's getting into a very conservative mindset. And we know a lot of very conservative people and they're out there saying, you know, I'm hearing it from this conservative side and it just makes my skin crawl. Um, well, there's a like there's a peaceful protest um, in Bemidji and they, they made a march down to the police station from Paul and Babe, which is in my town. Um, and they the conservative people were freaking out. They're calling all these people felons. They're they're saying that they're going to get their guns and they're going to go sit out and they're going to go protect their their businesses and their properties. And I'm just sitting there going, oh, my gosh, these are people. And then in reality, what I just want to say is, you know, this fear that you have right now, this is what these people live in every single day. But it's it's literally feels like talking to a brick wall and they're just not recepting it because that is not their reality. And it's hard because these people are not accepting this, um, this what's going on with the Black Lives Matter movement and everything as a reality. They think that the way that their life is, their privilege, they don't even call it privilege. They don't believe they have privilege, but that's the way it is. There's only one direction and they don't believe in other people's realities when other people's realities are just as valid and just as real. And that is what's so upsetting is that these people just don't even have that open mind to understand that there's other real realities out there that are true. So that is what I've been up against. And I've been watching the news and everything's going on in my neighborhood. Um, and, just and just feeling that feeling upset, that. seeing, you know, these black lives being taken. Um, and it's it needs to end. And well, and one of the one of the things that is very concerning to me about what you just said and about what uh, uh, the president said earlier today, which is uh, he referenced uh, making sure everybody was able to maintain their Second Amendment rights yeah, uh, or something to that effect, which is a dog whistle for get your guns. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, oh, of course. And yeah, that to me – danger of this moment is not necessarily that the 82nd airborne is going to jump into fucking new york city the danger which is let's be honest donald trump did say that he would deploy the military if the governors did not do what he wanted so which was quote dominate the streets yes uh and the the secretary of defense said dominate the battle space mm. which is a military right. term of art that they use Oof. instead of a against american citizens against, against american america. against american citizens, citizens. Yeah. um so yeah. that is to me a little bit of a longer term threat although it is very real the thing right now that is very concerning is that it is just like the state of nature basically and you just have a whole bunch of Second Amendment people out there with their fucking guns deciding that they have been deputized by the president to do whatever yeah. the fuck they want to do. And everybody starts shooting. We have more guns in America than we do people. So we are ripe for something like this to get very ugly very quickly. And then you have the, okay, we have to jump in the 82nd Airborne to maintain order between these two groups. And then where do we go from no, there? And the, don't neither of those sides like the 82nd Airborne. No. Well, it's true. And, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jamie. I was going to say, you know, what really scares me up here is you know the human mind we like to make things as simple as possible right and understand things in simple forms the people up here they see every protester is bad Mm -hmm. and like we were talking about 
protester, there's complexities within protesting. There's different subsets of groups and we it's hard to distinguish which one's good. But in my belief, and I, I believe this is true, majority of the protesters that are peacefully protesting in Minneapolis are good people. But vast that is majority, vast, that, vast majority. That, that is not represented up here. And the people up here see everyone as bad people. And they, I don't, I, I fear what they would do. Yeah. Right. And I think, and I think that's it. And you have the president stoking the flames mm-hmm. yeah. by calling all the people that are participating thugs and using harsh language against them mm-hmm. instead of making any kind of nuance. But I mean, it's, <laughs> I don't want to get so much into just Trump. Yeah. Because no. I think we could just we and, could rail on that for a while. But what I will say, what I've been thoroughly disappointed in, and it's part of this concern of the, the Second Amendment rights and kind of these smaller militia organizations that feel, and individuals themselves that feel like they might be deputized by that, is that there are reports in certain cities, and I think I think Portland's one of them too, where uh, Proud Boy organizations are allowed mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. walk the streets with the police mm-hmm. after curfew, mm-hmm. just because they're Whoa. white people with wow. guns that say we support. Well, really? I didn't hear that. Have you heard? Have you heard of no. that? No. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Well, I, fucked up if that's it, true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, there's I and and maybe this is to to a bigger point in general about there's a lot of information happening right now in a very short amount of time. Yeah. And it's hard to tell exactly what's true or not. Um, but that was one of the most disturbing things that I saw mm-hmm. in the past couple of days. That you know that that's allowed. That's some Stasi cities, fucking just, nonsense. That's that's yeah. That's like that's like that. That's like the brown shirt. Exactly. Yeah, like the brown some Gestapo. And, and I don't. I don't. I don't like to throw out Germany references and Nazi references all often. Often I, I use it sparingly. Yeah, when yeah. it's <laughs> relevant. It, but it's yeah, pretty, pretty but that is a that is a correct. Yeah. Did everybody see the video of the police officer in Flint, Michigan, joining the protest? No, but I heard about it. Yes. So to for our our listeners. Um, we you didn't see the very beginning of this interaction, but you see a speech uh, given by a sheriff's deputy of some kind, um, saying, "You know, we have taken off our helmets, we have laid down our batons, we are with you, with you, we are here to listen to you. And what do you need? What do you want?" And the cl- crowd starts cheering, uh, chanting, "Walk with us!" And he's like, "Hell yeah!" and walks with them. Mm. And that's that was a beautiful, beautiful moment. And he's sitting there high fiving everybody, and all I'm thinking is fucking COVID. But like, still, he's just like giving high fives to everybody. And it's like that is that is number one, a beautiful human moment, right? That is number two, quintessential de-escalation that we have to see in the United States. And it's not like a lot of these police departments don't know how to do that because we saw them do that a month ago when we had a whole bunch of fucking militia assholes show up with their AK-47s and their AR-15s and take over the the state house of mm-hmm. Michigan. We know that, that police officers and that police uh, um, departments can do these things yeah. if they want to. Yeah. And so it is um, – we, we have examples of really excellent officers doing their job, being heroes. However, we have lots and lots of disturbing videos coming out from this weekend especially of police completely abusing their power. Like the, uh, the um, video of somebody in – uh, shoot, I forget where it was. It might have been in D.C. Uh, they're on their front porch, and uh-huh. the cops fire paintballs at them and tell them to get back in their house. 
which right. to me is a oh, violation. The, with of, that that one that's that's from Minneapolis. Okay, mm-hmm. that's from Minneapolis. Yeah. The, so to me, that yeah, is with, a violation the National of Guard personal property. Tank going down the street. Yeah. Like you, you, yeah. you as a government are not allowed to come onto my front porch and tell me what the fuck to do. Yeah. So and it just is, yeah, Jamie. Jump well, in. just to keep adding on this, you know, like um, one of my. Uh, colleagues and she's a she's a medical doctor right and she was down peacefully protesting with her son and she is videotaping and while she was videotaping in the peaceful protest like she and her sons and the people in the crowd police cars drove by and out the windows as they're driving by completely maced all of them and they're just walking and she got it all on film and it's just like they were completely doing nothing wrong. It's completely unacceptable. Like, what is? Why? Those officers should be number one fired and number two charged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this see this gets to, to, back to my point of like the, the system itself is wrong, right? Because and we we've talked about this before. We can get there's so many nuances to go into, but police because there's such a tie between the military and the law enforcement. There has become a whole narrative of how you when you are when you're going through a community as a as a law enforcement it is your community. Right. And there's also something to be said where, you know, I don't know if you know about um, community. Um, uh, um, what's the, there's actually policing? a term for it. Um, community commu- policing. Community, but there's another word beside policing. Um, community security. I forget what it's called. But yeah, community policing, basically, which is like you have to live within the bounds of the area that you're policing in order to be a police on the police force. And time out real quick. That's something we implemented in fucking Iraq. Yeah. See, so it's we, like we could do it here. They were hiding in their bases, and the the uh, insurgency tactics uh, mandated that they go out into the community and get to know the community. Right. And so it's it's literally the same thing, but it's fucking Iraq. Right. Right. So like things like that. But that's what we mean when we say it's because the system. So they're tra- they, you know because of this connection, they're not um, trained to see people uh, necessarily as part of the community, but as enemies. Um, and that, that, that they're in a, that they're in a war zone. That's not completely true. But there's enough like there, there, you know, there's other trainings, but there's enough overlap that, that, that bleeds its way in. So what you're saying, James, like when things get heightened like this, right at a time like this, they revert to those tactics. And sometimes it's not even, it, sometimes it's not explicit. It's to the, the, the tactics itself, because so many ex-military end up training police that they just bring right. in these tactics. There's a hundred percent. There's a militarization of the police in our yeah. country. Without Unfortunately, there's without not the doubt. same kind of yeah. professionalism in our police yes. that we have in our military. Like you, you've seen a, a lot. You saw this all, uh, during the Ferguson protests, I haven't seen much of it now, but I'm sure you have a lot of people or no, I have seen it where you have military officers being like, I would not allow my troops to act that way. When we were, we were going through neighborhoods in Iraq. Like, yeah. you, like if you raise your weapon to somebody, it's because you are milliseconds away from shooting them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you, do not raise your weapon. Yeah, totally. Instead, so, we got like you fucking. Saw, I mean, you, you know, we've seen multiple videos with them just firing nonchalantly in the crowds, and you know, no matter what they have on hand, and they're they're blatantly flaunting the authority that everybody's out there to protest against. Yes, yeah. which is just, just that's that's, that's, that's the that's, that's the bottom line, line when you watch any of that footage. Is that's what it's at. That's why all those people are out there protesting that kind of stuff is yep. because they're allowed to get away with that type of behavior force and yeah. against and, citizens. And all these videos we see are a fraction of the reality that. Many minority communities, but specifically the black community, lives with every day, right? And for generations, right? I mean, for forever since they, since slavery was and since you know the it has been systematic 
And it's only in the last, with the technology that we have of being able to record officers that there's been any sort of awareness by many white people about it. And, and it's not changing. It's been what I was trying to figure this out. Is it eight, 10 years now since Black Lives Matter started? We have not seen substantial, substantial changes to the system. Uh, yeah, because the first uh, was... Um, Trayvon Martin. Yeah, Trayvon Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, that was probably the patient zero of this particular um, civil rights movement. Um, yeah. Can you imagine if those protesters two weeks ago with their AR-15s had to deal with five generations of white people not being able to get care- haircuts? Yeah. Oh, kind my of God. There would have been the- <laughs> You'd have them up in arms. Oh, yeah. wait. I mean, I, I don't want to make light of the, of the situation. I'm sorry. Yeah, should, well, no, but it's true, though. I mean, we do need to because that's privilege, right? Like, yeah. I mean, we need to call that out is like, you know, I saw a video of a guy. Um, he was armed. And granted, this was um, on Twitter and the person gave context. So it's always you always want to be a little suspicious of this. But the person said this guy held a gun to people and was asked to leave the protest. Right. And he was a white guy in military fatigues right. and, a, and, and an AR-15, and and it looked like a Kevlar vest. And it's like, if that guy was black, he would have been probably dead. Right, right. Yeah. And so it is uh, – that's our privilege. we got to call it out. Absolutely. And I think another way – well, this, this kind of ties the two together. For me, at least, is something I've been thinking about. To, this to tie this to to um, the bad actors sort of thing, which I think is an important conversation to have for people who are not familiar with protests. I'm not saying I'm like an expert, but I think I've been part of more protests than um, perhaps some of our listeners. So, like, so for example, one thing that happens is that cops infiltrate right? Because people get masked up or they just wear plain clothes. Um, so they, they go in and, you know, if people are wearing all black, they go in black or they just wear, you know, um, and they, they have a history of, um, this has happened, um, in many parts, it's been confirmed in many parts of the country. Of course, it doesn't get confirmed till usually far afterwards, but cops will go in and they will intentionally, um, try to stoke, um, the crowd towards violence so that then when the crowd becomes violent, the police can then justify the use of violent force in retaliation. So we had this video that came out of Minneapolis of a guy um, in all black with, with you know, some um, people were saying that they're um, the boots, the, the standard issue boots wearing the cops get. Um, the gas mask he had was really expensive, which was weird. Um, and he went through and just started casually breaking the glasses of an AutoZone. And a black protester... Um, confronted him it was being videotaped the whole thing all the smashing the windows got videotaped then the the, the, the this black video uh, uh this uh, black protester confronts him and says like what what's going on and, and follows him and the guy doesn't respond right now i've been to a good amount of protests where there are people who are you know it, people aren't necessarily on the same page to just turn around and walk away and then the first thing he says is he turns around and he says if you keep following me i'm gonna punch you in the face that is not how someone on the same side in solidarity acts. Even no. if you disagree on tactics, yeah. that's yeah, not no. how you act. I've uh, been in fucking arguments with other protesters, and that yeah. is not how it happens. <laughs> yeah. And so then, um, again, these things don't get officially confirmed, but um, the person – so the, the ex-wife of a guy who's a cop in a, in a neighboring town. It's not in – it's outside of Minneapolis-St. Paul, um, but who is a cop outside of, of – in another neighboring town – the ex-wife confirmed that it appears to be him and that actually that gas mask was hers. 
Um, so she's like, oh, he, I remember when we broke up, he took my gas mask and, uh, that's him. And the pictures look from what you can see of the guy's face through the gas mask. You 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 can see his eyes and his cheeks and his forehead. It does look to be quite a bit like him. Um, and regardless of whether or not this particular incident is true, we can, it has been confirmed enough times to know that this is happening. So when people talk about rioting and escalating, there's things that happens. Um, the other thing, there's two other things I want to, one is, is also white supremacists. They come in mm-hmm. because they're just trying to stoke the race war. So it's the same thing. They'll come in and start breaking windows and trying to escalate the violence as well, infiltrating, pretending to be others. So this, this individual, if he wasn't a cop, he's definitely like a white supremacist or something. He, there's, he's not like, uh, it's not just like some guy who's like, yeah, I'm there. I'm just not going to talk to this other protester and threaten to punch him in the face and just break shit. But the third thing. Right. He's probably not part of like the Minneapolis anarchist movement. Yeah. yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> but the third thing that is important. Yeah. He's also kind of old, which is weird. The third thing, um, that, uh, is that I think is important though, that is on the side of the left that I want to talk about is, is anarchists and, um, specifically, um, Young white anarchists. I, I would just like to say this podcast is anti-anarchists. Just, just I would <laughs> like to declare that. I, I, I hope everybody's okay with that. But we are, we are. Well, yeah. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know we, if I can did, totally get on board with that. But I'll let two you thumbs know. down. As, I, as practical as communism. <laughs> two thumbs down. I bet you, if you put a whole bunch of anarchists on an island and they didn't kill each other, they would reinvent society. Uh, that is probably true. However, let's and, not get in the debates of what anarchism okay. is yes. and not, because that would derail the rest of the podcast. <laughs> the point, the the point that I want to bring here is there are photos of what appears to be the target in Minneapolis, which is one of the first large structures to get set on fire. It appears to be young, white, black-clad men um, uh, who are st- st- stacking a bunch of wood pallets and other flammable things to start that fire. Now, I want to be clear that there is a tactic that is a useful uh, a tactic of um, having white people go to the front lines and do those sort of things um, when it's agreed upon by the, the um, leadership of the protest in order because um, cops will be more lenient on white bodies than they will on black bodies or other bodies of color. Mm-hmm. So it is a tactic yeah. and it, because white bodies have suffered the, the least amount of violence, it's basically like, all right, you're, our turn to go out there and take the brunt of that violence. Also, they'll be less violent towards us. So it could be possible that there was some instruction and that happened. However, what I have seen at many protests and has happened is um, in black-led or people of color-led, uh, other people of color-led uh, uh, protests, white anarchists coming in and trying to co-opt that for their own purposes of basically just destroying property or you know ensuing chaos, right? And so I think it's really want to be clear that there are, in my opinion, probably bad actors on both on all sides of the political spectrum. And what this, for me, ties back to the, the other piece is that they all are, in this example, mostly white men. Hmm. Hmm. Curious. That regardless of the side, that there are white men who are instigating and, and escalating the violence. And that's not to say that there aren't people who are, or black people and people from their communities also, you know, um, looting and things like that. Um, because when you're poor um, and you're in the middle of a pandemic where you don't know when your next job's going to be... Um, and you're just going against the system, that is something that you do sometimes to make ends meet. Um, and uh, I just wanted to be like clear that there's, this is a little bit of a side of the conversation, but there's work for white men to do around why we keep escalating shit and fucking shit up, 
you know, and a really a big point of listen to the leaders of color, listen to the leaders of color and follow their lead. All right. So that's like, that's kind of what I want to segue. Cause right. As a, as a coach, that's my question is always, you know, we structure your coach too as well. Right. And so we usually get into deep conversations, topics, and then sometimes it can be on the spectrum of more negative side, but then reframing it into a more empowering moment. Let's get, see what we can do. So as three white men and a white female, what can we do to empower the moment and really control what we can control to make sure that we can listen to these people of color, let them take the leadership, but what else can we do within our control to continue to move forward and allow this growth to happen? Absolutely. Uh, Some suggestions. Um, One thing that has been unjust in our society since the beginning is uh, generational wealth and how it has contributed to racial disparities. So if you are able to use some of your generational wealth as a white person to support black and people of color communities, that's a really good way to do it. Oh, by the way, you don't have to leave your house to do it, which is convenient for a lot of people, especially right now. Um, You should be using your privilege in ways to protect people of color. We've seen many, many inspiring videos of white people standing in front of black protesters, literally putting their bodies, putting the privilege of their bodies in front, like you were mentioning earlier, Tyler. Um, I think talking to people who might not necessarily agree with you, but who are persuadable, Um, I think that people who look like you, people who have known you, that is incredibly important and empowering, um, and can make real change. How about, I I want to, I, I, I like that, but like asking you three in particular, what empowers you three? Um, what, like what fills your guys' soul to continue on this growth? What, what's that emotional aspect of that, that continues this growth? You know, it's been funny because I'm actually, um trying to figure that out uh because i so i have an autoimmune condition which i think many of our listeners know uh and it is unclear exactly how covid affects the autoimmune condition that i have so i feel uh like i fall more into a vulnerable category uh, Mm -hmm. which i have been really struggling with because i typically go to these types of things and i feel um uh, not good about not going. So I have been trying to use, um, other means at my disposal. Um, this podcast is one of them. Uh, donations is another one. Um, some other things I, you know, other things as well. Um, so I guess that would be for me. Um, but I am super open to suggestions because I am mostly at home mm-hmm. right now. And so, and, and feeling mm-hmm. a great impulse, uh, to be more involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, John. I, I've seen a lot of pictures of friends of mine, people who are participating currently in the Denver protests. Um, and I decided to not go this weekend mainly out of, um, an idea that, I didn't know if I would help or hinder what the message was once I got there. And in a way, I thought that my support potentially outside of being there might be more important at this time. Um, But it's a really hard decision. I've questioned, I've questioned it, you know, and it was, it's very tough, you know, because I feel like I should be there too. The stuff that is being talked about on the front lines is stuff that I really care about, Mm -hmm. right? the justice aspect of it, the demilitarization of police, 
you know, more equitable like resource distribution throughout all communities and help for people or stuff that I really care about. And I think that stuff that we've talked about many times on this podcast that we've tried to actively help. And so uh, it's a tough time. I don't, I don't really know how I'm, you know, doing my best to help it besides vocalizing my support when I can. Um, talking to people, like, for example, the best that I felt in the last couple of days was talking to close family and family friends when they would start bringing in something like, oh, well, there's no reason that rioters should be on the streets at all because Martin Luther King would never support violent <laughs> protests. And I, and I would go, hold on a second, uh, because I don't think, one, you have any perspective of what a dead man would say about this situation right now. <laughs> and two, as a white person, you can't take away Martin Luther King's speech and say that you know, you know what's best now for this movement because of something that a black man said 60 years ago <laughs> or almost 60 years ago, Yeah, you know? And so maybe just being in the mind, the proper mindset of trying to check my privilege on a, on a daily basis and support people however I can, um, at least is enough for me emotionally to know that I'm trying to help at this time. But um, it always feels like I'm not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I echo that. So, but in a way it sounds like too, it's letting go of power so other people can have power and have that voice and come to the table. Mm-hmm. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. It because be part of it. And I think that's a big part up, up here is even though people might not have that self-awareness, they don't want to let go of that power. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kelly, I think that's a really good point about, um, talking to our friends and family. That is one of the, as white people, that is the, one of the most impactful things we can do, you know? Um, and those are of course some of the most difficult conversations because you care about those people. Um, but that's also why they will listen to you because there's mutual care and possibly love and respect there. Um, and it makes me think of, yeah, I should, uh, send a little email to my family. My families are, I don't have really any like conservative family that I'm <laughs> have any sort of relationship <laughs> with. Um, but, uh, the, but my family's more falls on like the kind of liberal center ish, um, often so that I can definitely, um, provoke them. Um, otherwise, yeah, I agree. Like because of some family things going on in my life as well, um, uh, going out on the streets um, didn't feel like the best move um, in combination because something I'm starting to talk more really about because it's felt weird to, to but I've become into the awareness um, that I do have some PTSD from um, a uh, protest, a clash that happened here in 2016, which I talked about on this podcast. Um, or sorry, that was 2017, yeah, actually. 2017. Yeah, we yeah, talked a lot about it. We talked it. a lot about it. Um, the Battle of Berkeley when white uh, supremacists and white nationalists came to Berkeley and um, it became all up brawl in the streets. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's the closest like thing to a war zone I've ever, or, or an uprising that I've been involved with. Um, and yeah, just mass amounts of violence. Um, and, uh, when I wa even when I just watch videos now of police and protesters clashing, um, I get, I get what is called hyper aroused, which, uh, means I become di from a, from a, this is like, this is some trauma in psychology speak, but it comes, you become dysregulated, meaning you go into fight or flight mode. Um, and that is not a helpful way to be at a protest. And I know that if I go to something and some sort of violence comes with that, that trigger will come for me. 
So, um, so it doesn't seem like the best place for me to be. Um, so what am I doing? Well, I'm really rooting back into my garden and my connection to the earth. And so, uh, I have a little out, uh, a little farm stand outside where we're just giving away some homegrown veggies and herbs, keep people healthy. You gotta be your best self while you're, while you're out there doing this work. Um, continuing to have the hard conversations, um, including with our one dear friend who I'm not going to say his name because um, I would never do that, but we all know who we're talking about. Um, and, uh, you know, the other thing, Jamie, that I just, you know, is real, is like what keeps me fed in this work. Well, one's community. I want to say also community, you know, um, other, other like-minded folks who you can talk with us about um, and do the work. And then also, um, for me, I'm really going back to the, the base of why I got into um, social justice work in the first place, which is my spirituality. Um, and I, I really do, from a core place in me, feel that we are all connected. And when harm happens to anyone, it happens to me. Um, and mm -hmm. the, the violence that we're seeing out there, that, is, that, is a direct, um, that has a direct impact on me, whether I feel it directly or not. Um, and the, my move is to try to feel it is to try to feel it um, and in that way have that, not just that psychological um, or con like um, thinking solidarity, but that really felt sense of solidarity. To that uh, point em of solidarity. is so important. To that point of solidarity, so Tyler, one of my favorite Martin Luther King quotes is, we all might have come over in different ships, but we're in the same boat now. Mm -hmm. And I think that really gets to like, we are, I think it is fair to say everybody in the country is hurting right now on all sides of the spectrum. And I think the first part of healing is acknowledging that and saying like that cop who beat somebody, probably there is something terrible in his life that led him to that moment. And so, yes, there has to be accountability, but there also has to be compassion and understanding. If And if that is what we want from the people quote on the other side, we have to have that towards other folks. Um, and then, and, and by other folks, I mean like violent police and, and fucking white supremacists, which is going to be a lot of hard work. And then another thing I just wanted to say, um, I think it's really important that like that white people talk to other white people in your community and in your family and your friends about, what is going on right now, but it's, it's more than that. It's okay. First of all, they need to understand what's happening and understand what we're talking about. The next thing they have to do is they have to get off the fucking bench. They cannot sit in the stands and watch this game happen anymore. It is, everybody is hurting from this. And so everybody's got to be part of the solution. Yes. Yeah, and so, so totally it, it, it is not only, okay, grandpa or crazy uncle or whoever, do you understand this? Yes, I understand it. Great. Now what are you going to do about it? Yeah, That has to be right. the next sentence out of your mouth. It is not okay that they just say, oh, I get it now. Okay, great. Now you have to help me fix it. Yeah. And strategically what that can look like, yep. yeah, strategically what that can look like, it can look like someone who maybe lives in your town. Maybe you know them, maybe you don't know them so well. Maybe they're a little less politicized than you and they post something in solidarity with the protest and you're, you can text them and go, Hey, I saw you post. I really appreciate that. Do you want to come to the protest with me? Right. It's about yeah. getting people to that next level of, of, of activism. And, um, 
to, also towards that end, you know, we have to we have to wrap here in a minute. Um, so I want to make sure that we say thanks for listening to a bunch of white people. Um, now go consume some black media. Um, <laughs> yes. Like go listen go to watch White. Killer Mike's speech from Atlanta. Killer Mike's go speech watch from that and as soon as you're done listening to us. Please. Check. Go watch Killer Mike's speech and then go watch the mayor. Yeah, uh, speech. Uh, BYP one hundred. Mayor Bottom. She is the black mom that this country needs right now. Like it was, her speech was inspiring. And then I would also um, ask, especially those people who um, feel like they don't have a firm grasp on this. There's a video of two older black men having an argument about what to do. uh, And they are addressing a young black man. One is 40, one is 30, the other one is 16. Uh, It should be fairly easy to find. And it's a couple minutes. And I think that it will help a lot of people understand the pain in the black community, the generational pain. If you feel like you do not understand this and want to understand, that's a really good two-minute start for you. So I'd highly recommend that. And then go find some way to be involved. Yeah. And we'll talk more about this as we get closer to the election and everything. But there's a lot of stuff you can do in terms of it but i know we're going to wrap up and i don't want to give uh short change our guests but jamie do you have anything else yeah. that you'd like to add yeah. before we we sign off yeah the last thing i have is you know the importance of community right and we need community and with community I, i'm a it's it's important to reconnect and be a part of something that's bigger than yourself and you know as a trans gay woman um i really I, I want to be there. I'm there for the people of color, but I'm also there for my marginalized community. And I think it's reaching out to your marginalized communities and making sure that you are putting in the needs for those marginalized communities. Because when we all succeed, we all succeed. So helping, I'm gonna, my focus, I, I'm not an expert on people of color and Black Lives Matter. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be listening. I'm going to be an ear for them. But what I can control is helping my LGBT community and making sure that I can do that during Pride Month and making sure that we all come together because we are all in this together. When one hurts, we all hurt. And I think you guys are spot on with that. But thanks for letting me know. Uh, Like us, follow us on all the social media stuff. Uh, Rate our episode. Leave us comments if you want to hear us talk about certain stuff. We'd love to hear feedback. Thanks all for listening. Can I get a Godspeed? Godspeed. Boom. And Blake, and Blake, for your afterwards, for your afterwards, Blake. Hi, Blake. Uh, hi, Blake. If, if we're, hi, Blake. Hi, also. Blake. Also, uh, if they're a riot, if, if if you if you're getting an argument with white people and MLK quotes come up, just remember, the a riot is the language of the unheard. Yes. Rage Against the Machine. That's great. That's MLK. That's MLK. Oh yeah, no, I know, I know, but I was also throwing. But then that Rage too. says the riot is the rhyme of the unheard. Yeah. <laughs> Love it.